0: done was wrong. Staying in
1: the wilderness too long. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. The only thing we'd done was right. Was the day we started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize.
0: You are listening to Farm and Fiddle, the podcast that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Every week since June 1999, we have brought you the best voices in sustainable agriculture to the radio airwaves on Mid-Missouri's KOPN 89.5 FM. This is Rhett Hartman. I'm Margo McMillan. Our guest today is Diane Rosenberg of JFAN, J-F-A-N, Jefferson County Friends and Neighbors, an organization in Iowa that has kept concentrated animal feeding operations out of their county, and they are now working on a moratorium for the entire state. And, and maybe we could start, Diane, with you talking a little bit about what is jefferson friends and neighbors and we generally hear it called j fan
1: yes um well thank you margo thank you for having me on today um so it's actually jefferson county farmers and neighbors um and we are a, a community organization in Fairfield, Iowa. We represent uh, Jefferson County. We're a, a nonprofit C three organization, a, an educational foundation, and and we were formed in two thousand five because there were was a threat to several KFOs mm-hmm. right outside of the city limits of, of Fairfield, and neighbors mm-hmm. got together and and uh, did a whole bunch of. Education at that point in time learned all about the problem, which they weren't really aware of, and um, and formed this organization, JFan, and we've continued on. They were able to stop the KFOS that from going in, and, um, and this is like before I came on on board. But what we do is community education, and we we have made Jefferson County probably one of the most KFO savvy counties in the entire state of. Of Iowa. Mm -hmm. Um, We do a lot of community education. We've we've published booklets. We have a newsletter that we that we publish. We do an annual meeting every year, do other meetings, educational ads we've done. We feel that an educated community is an empowered community. They know what the problem is and then they know what they need to do to address the problem. And JFAN also, we um, monitor for new CAFO development Every week, we actually check twice a week because these things can come up very quickly and get processed through the Iowa Department of Natural Resources, the DNR, very quickly. So we check twice a week for for any new hog operations that might be coming online. And then when we discover one, we send out a letter and actually a full information packet to everybody that would be living in a two-mile radius of the CAFO because most people do not know a CAFO is coming in. There's no alert system within Iowa to, to let people know, not, not a, a good one. And then, so we let, we let people know that these confinements are being proposed, and we send them a letter that outlines a lot of the harms that some people do experience living near these CAFOs, and we send maps where the CAFO is going to be and where the manure is going to be uh, spread. Mm -hmm. in Jefferson County and elsewhere. Sometimes it's over the border. And if they want our help, we will help them organize to oppose the confinement. They have to ask us for help. Like I said, we're a C3, we're an educational foundation, and we can provide informational and organizational guidance and support. They have to do the work, but we are there to Help them. Help them devise strategies. You know, we'll lay out a whole menu of strategies that they could take, and it's up to the community to decide what's the best strategy for for them and as a as a community group. Mm-hmm. And um, and we're there to help them as much as they want our help or as little as they want our help. Mm-hmm. We've been able to to keep the number of these factory farms at a lower rate. You know, we do get some because you can't stop them all. Iowa doesn't give us. A lot of uh, solid regulations to mm-hmm. to work with. but because of the community, as I said it's an empowered, it's a knowledgeable community. people often stand up against these. And you know because of JFAN's presence and because of a number of KFO fights that have taken place in the county, we've actually been able to keep the number of kFOs way lower than in the number of our surrounding Counties, mm-hmm. you know our area we believe was targeted for CAFO development back or around when j fan was founded. and if you look at our our county to the north of us and two counties to the north of us, Keokuk and Washington counties, Washington county has like about a million hogs. Mm. Keokuk has at this point probably. Well, at the 2012 census, it was a quarter million hogs, so I I am substantially more. Mm -hmm. And we have like a tenth of the number of hogs that Mm -hmm. that those counties have. Mm -hmm. So we've really been pretty successful in keeping the number lower. Mm -hmm. Can't stop them all. But we have been able to pretty much protect the cities of of Fairfield and Vedic City. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'd like to say we've been able to protect the entire county. Mm -hmm. We have heard a lot. Uh, Jefferson County is known as a place where you don't want to build a CAFO because of J-FAN. So I believe we would have had a lot more in the rural areas as well mm-hmm. had JFAN not been present. And there's a study by out of Colorado State University by William Weta, and he he looked at uh, property values in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And he found that when a CAFO was sited, like within about a half a mile of a a home. The property value of that home would drop up to forty percent. Uh, I've had some people that have had their homes put near KFOS, KFOS uh, put near their homes, and when they've had their homes reassessed, you know, because they were trying to get a break on their property taxes, mm-hmm. uh, they found that their property values had dropped as well. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of research out there that that shows that there is a correlation between properties, you know, losing a lot of their value. If they can even sell the property, sometimes you have people that try to put their house on the market in a normal year or normal situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it may get snatched up, you know, in a relatively short period of time, but it sits there for years
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and may or may not move. So it, it, people typically do not want to buy a home in a place where the odor is so pervasive
0: mm-hmm.
1: and offensive mm-hmm. and and truthfully harmful to the health
0: yeah yeah so do you have studies that talk about the uh the problems with health of these homes that are close to CAFOs are there studies that that say that there's you know uh more asthma for example or something like that
1: there's a lot of studies. There's like 50 years of studies that have been conducted on the impacts of of these factory farms on, on not only health, but property value and rural economies and the environment and what have you. And, yes, people that live near CAFOs, they have a much greater risk of environmental asthma, particularly children. There's a study out of the University of Iowa that showed that children – living on a CAFO have a greater incidence of asthma. They've done a study of children in um, schools near CAFOs, and and they have a greater incidence of of asthma. Mm -hmm. There's studies that that show that living near a CAFO can, you know, you can experience a host of different issues, respiratory Mm -hmm. issues, COPD issues, depression, and nausea, vomiting. Um, These, this is all Documented in numerous studies, and we actually have we have a coalition in, in Iowa, the Iowa Alliance for Responsible Agriculture, and we have a, a Facebook presence and the uh, the, well, the website is cleaniowanow.org, now org, and on there we have a library of many of the studies that that have been done, and it's mm. an ongoing process to keep adding adding to these studies. Mm. Um, but but there are you know there
0: 's a lot well you know i i 'm really puzzled with all of this evidence and all of this information i 'm very puzzled as to why farmers or people maybe they 're not farmers, maybe they 're not experienced with livestock. Why do people go into this uh, industry it 's very expensive. you build these Huge barns, gosh, a couple of football fields long, and uh, you have a lot of money in them. You've got a lot of money in fans and lights and pumps and all sorts of equipment that, that it takes to run them. And, and, you know, the prices of hogs is pretty low right now, and it's, it's always variable. Even if it's high, it's, you kind of know it's going to go down. Why do people go into this? Do you have any clue on that? Yeah, yeah. This, truthfully, it's federal policies
1: that have structured industrial agriculture as as we know it. Federal policies over the last fifty, sixty years. You know that we've. I, I, I'm not going to be profess to be an expert on on the actual farm policy that got us here, but I can tell you what uh, the result is. So so basically, we have a system where we have these farmers, and I really hesitate to use the word farmer because yeah, agreed. they're more caretakers of the of the hogs. We've lost a lot of our, our husbandry knowledge with the expansion of this industrial agricultural model. But this model is easy to get alone to, to to farm in this way. So there's a lot of there's a lot of parts to this. So part of it is that banks don't easily give money to people that want to put in some infrastructure maybe for a hoop house operation Mm. or or a smaller confinement where they're not where they're independent and they're not working with a a large corporation that actually owns the hogs Mm. owns the feed um, provides all the veterinary care the farmer just has to build the building and these Buildings, as you said, are very expensive. Uh, like a twenty five hundred head facility
0: mm-hmm. is
1: is about three quarters of a million dollars.
0: Whoa, a
1: twelve hundred head is about three hundred seventy five thousand dollars. You know, and, and so they, so, so these are like really pricey. But the banks are willing to give loans to these uh, case owners because our federal government provides guaranteed loans through the USDA they can get these guaranteed loans anywhere from 85 to 95 percent of the loan is guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So the bank has a insurance mm-hmm. contract in a sense so that you know if the KFO owner goes under, then they're going to get their money. So mm-hmm. number one that makes it way easier for somebody to step into a KFO so and a lot of people do want to stay on the land
0: they do want to farm mm-hmm. and this is the way they can do it. Mm-hmm. So does Jefferson County have a thriving uh, local foods movement, like um, we're very lucky here in, in mid-Missouri to have a lot of farmers that are growing for directly to consumers, so going to the farmer's market or doing delivery systems, finding markets that way. And uh, agreed, this is a hand-to-mouth existence, but of course, with the concentrated animal feeding operations, the bottom line isn't a humongous amount of money. So it seems like all of farming right now is a hand-to-mouth farming situation. So do you have a a good local food system there? We have a a good, yes, we have a good local Mm -hmm. food system in terms of produce, Mm-hmm. In terms
1: of dairy, we have a, a amazing dairy in in Fairfield Radiance Dairy, organic dairy, and we we have local foods producing eggs and, and that. I would say livestock meat not as thriving as it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some people that are working to to make it more so. There are some avenues from around the state that I, I buy my. Meet from some Amish producers that mm-hmm. that you know are like in other parts of the of the state. Other than that, we we do we have a, a thriving farmers market during the the summertime, mm-hmm. and it even limps along. And I'll say limp along because there's not a lot available in the winter, but we right. do have some that is available in the winter because we have some greenhouses that are growing um, some of our produce. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we have a, an amazing, <laughs> really fabulous uh, grocery store, uh, kind of like a local foods and health food type grocery store that are uh, actually a few different places in Fairfield where you can get locally produced produce. So, so I, I feel like we're very fortunate in that way. Can it be better and stronger? Absolutely. I would love to see the... The greenhouses that we have over time expand, so that truthfully, we are producing all our food through these greenhouses 365 days out of the year. You know, but that's a long-term, long-term sure. uh, goal. You know, and I'm, I'm not sure that's my goal, <laughs> it's my desire. But we, but I know that there are people working like to provide local pork and 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 that
0: well, challenges. Sure. We're talking to Diane Rosenberg and she is president and executive director of a group called JFAN which stands for Jefferson Friends and Neighbors and it's a nonprofit 501c3 educational foundation Rural and town residents and family farmers getting together to stop the growth of the factory farms coming into Jefferson County. And this is Jefferson County, Iowa. I believe we have a Jefferson County, Missouri also, so I don't want people to get confused. Diane, your group has been instrumental in calling for a moratorium in Iowa, and I guess going back a few years, maybe you can talk a little bit about that and how that has developed in, in Iowa. Sure.
1: So, um,
0: J-SAN is a member of the Iowa Alliance for Responsible
1: Agriculture, or IRA, as we call it, and that is a group that came together in 2014. I helped to co-found that with my um, colleague, Chris Peterson, who uh, we both also work for the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. I, I work on a part-time basis for them, and he's full-time. And and SRAP is a national organization that works to help communities that are addressing, you know, the CAFO threat, you know, Mm -hmm. the same type of thing where a community reaches out to SRAP, and then we have consultants all around the country that go in and and help a a community in need. And so I I work in Iowa for, for SRAP. About a quarter of my time is with them, Great. and and Chris and I in 2014. I, I've been wanting to do something on a state level for a long time, and when I started working with with SRAP at the end of 2013, I started talking with with Chris about it, and 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 some of the uh, my other SRAP team members, and so we. In the summer of 2014, invited every organization that we could think of that might have some interest in dealing with the factory farm situation. We invited them to a meeting in Des Moines mm. on the Raccoon River, because because that's the kind of symbolic um, you should, place of a lot of, of yeah. a lot of um,
0: pollution. Yeah, say say that's the that's the river that actually brings water to Des Moines, and that's the the river that. Des Moines is cleaning up because of, it has exactly. to go through their uh, their cleaning system. So really, that's where Des Moines residents are paying a lot for this uh, this CAFO uh, onslaught that you all have yes. in Iowa.
1: Yes. Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah, so, so it was on the raccoon. I hated to interrupt you, but uh, maybe people here don't know too much about the Raccoon River. So,
1: and, um, and so we met. We had, you know, 50 people that came, over 50 people that came to that first meeting. And we continued on. It was a really good, well-planned-out meeting, really good meeting. And we continued on, and we met for about a year, I'd say maybe about a year and a half, and and kind of working behind the scenes, we didn't go public quite yet with who we were and what we were trying to do, trying to find our stride where we wanted to really, you know, forge a path in, in dealing with factory farms. And, and there was one day when we had a meeting and we had done all this preparation before the meeting, oh, we're going to, you know, to to lay out to those to our monthly meetings, people that would come to the meetings. You know, we had a committee that laid all sorts of avenues out. Oh, we should focus on consumer issues. We should focus on water quality, this and this and this. And so we're laying all of this out, thinking, oh, we're going to go for that. People are going to go for that. And someone just piped up in the middle of the meeting, why don't we just go for a moratorium because that's what we really want. And it was like, that was it. It was like it wasn't anything we had come up with before, but as soon as she said that, it's like we coalesced around that. So we worked probably for another year behind the scenes, kind of like laying a lot of foundation, a lot of groundwork for how we were going to do this and and what it was going to look like. We started, you know, putting together some wording for some possible bill and everything. And so we finally went public in 2016, September of 2016, calling for a factory farm moratorium until there were fewer than 100 polluted waters in Iowa. Mm. We have 750. That's seven hundred fifty. So we thought, well, 100 would be a good target you know, <laughs> because it'll take us a while to get to 100. And while we are getting to that 100, since it will take so long, it's going to be a real inspiration, let's say, for the pork industry, the corporations, everyone to find ways to, number one, bring down the, the, the water polluted, the polluted waters and come up with better ways of, of farming, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's why we kind of picked 100. And, and so that's, we, we went public with that. And we got national attention you know, with everything that, you know, with this whole announcement. And truthfully, Margot, I really thought this was going to be a many-year process before we even saw a bill. But in 2000, in the, in the summer of t- the next year, 2017, we met Senator David Johnson, a former Senator David Johnson, out of northwest Iowa. Northwest Iowa has the highest concentration of KFOS in the state. Mm-hmm. He came and he met with us. He had been traveling around the state. To meet with people all around, he, he he considers himself a recovering local control denier because <laughs> because he life. felt for a long time that we didn't need local control, and, and he, felt he, to, he felt that you did not need it. He felt that we did not need local control. Wow, we lost okay. local control into, in in 1995. Okay, and um, and so he he was of that persuasion, but over these last two three years, he started to have an epiphany about how this industry was really impacting communities. And he would go everywhere. Somebody called him, come see this KFO here, it's such a problem. And you know, he would go and, and 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 he'd meet with communities. He would see how these communities were being impacted. And it made a big impression on him. So he met with the Iowa Alliance when came to one of our monthly meetings in, in two thousand seventeen. It was probably one of the only meetings I wasn't able to make because I had a, a conflict that I couldn't get out of that day. Mm-hmm. And we basically told him what we would like to see. He was, he was saying, what What can I do? What kind of bills do you want? What can I do? And we said moratorium. And then we gave him a whole laundry list of a lot of other fixes that I won't even go into because it would, that's a whole show in and it of itself. But a whole lot of, mm-hmm. all these fixes because our laws are, are, are quite lax. And lo and behold, in January of last year, 2018, he introduced a moratorium bill and 14 other bills to close a lot of the loopholes.
0: Diane, and that's huge.
1: It was, it was enormous. It was <laughs> enormous, and we had a we had a, a press conference and a lobby day, you know, when we announced these bills, and and so we, we you know, so what's been happening is since our initial announcement, it's been picking up. Over the course of these last couple over two years now. So last year, so shortly after the the moratorium was announced by IRA, JFAN had a annual meeting where we bring in, you know, there's like four or five hundred people that come to our annual meetings. And Bill Stowe, the CEO and general manager of the Des Moines Waterworks, he came and he spoke, and the whole focus on of our annual meeting was on the moratorium so you know there's you know more and more emphasis being put on it mm-hmm. and then the following month one of the counties Webster County came out with a letter to to the governor and legislators saying we need to have our master matrix fixed the master matrix is a regulatory tool that was developed after we lost local control and it kind of gives lip service to local control but it it doesn't. It doesn't it's completely ineffective. And they said we need, you know, to have that fixed and we want to see oh they didn't use the word moratorium, but we want to see a halt in, you know, new and expanding KFOs until this is addressed. Mm -hmm. And then more counties started to follow suit. So since we since we first announced the the moratorium in two thousand sixteen, we now have twenty five out of ninety nine counties that have either called for a moratorium, oh. and some of them are actually using the word moratorium, or they're calling for changes to this master matrix, which we are considering part of this whole drive to better regulating our KFOS. And this year, Senator Johnson decided not to run for re-election in, in 2018, so I didn't know what was going to happen with our moratorium bill, but this year, I, on the House side, because we had a companion bill on the House by last year, uh, Representative Sharon Steckman out of the Mason City area, she introduced a moratorium bill. And then we had a new senator out of Des Moines, uh, Senator Claire Selsey that introduced a moratorium bill this year as well. Now, last year, when Senator Johnson introduced the bill, he, we had one person in the Senate supporting it. It was him. Mm-hmm. And in the House, we had... Maybe seven co-sponsors. You know, Sharon Steckman, Representative Steckman, did it, and she had maybe six or seven co-sponsors with her. This year, we had a moratorium bill again in the Senate with four additional people sponsoring, with with, with Senator Selsey, and then in the in the House we had twenty people oh. sponsoring along. So we we are definitely. Building momentum, and we're just going to keep working at this. This, I'll tell you one other thing that I thought was pretty darn cool. Last year we had a gubernatorial election and also an election for Secretary of Agriculture. Um, the gubernatorial candidates there were—it was just one on the Republican side. I, uh, I think it was just one uh, 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 um, lieutenant governor, Kim Reynolds, who wound up actually winning. And then on the on the Democrat side, there was a handful. There were five, six, you know, candidates. Two of them actually came out in support of a factory farm moratorium. So it actually started to become somewhat of a talking point. And I read in the Fort Dodge newspaper there was a Republican debate for Secretary of Ag. And the, the moratorium question came up in a Republican debate for Secretary of Ed. Now, they didn't support it, but it came up. Mm So it's definitely, we're we're building momentum. Mm -hmm. We are absolutely building momentum, you know, with this. Great. Not an overnight occurrence. This is is (laughs) going to take a a long process to get there.
0: And, you know, you guys... Are are going to be in focus? If you're, I think you already are in focus uh, with presidential candidates. Do you hear yes. any presidential candidates talking about uh, anything about the hog industry, about uh, KFOs, that I, kind of thing? I,
1: yes, I haven't heard too many speak of speak yet. So I, I, mm-hmm. I'm going to have that as a, as a qualifier. Okay. However, Bernie Sanders came recently. To, he was in Des Moines, Iowa City, Cedar Rapids. He may have gone to the western part of the state, too, recently. And I, I watched his—I couldn't get to the Iowa City venue because of a conflict that I had. That would have been the closest one to me. But I did watch the Des Moines recording on YouTube, and he, he, he brought up the whole—he didn't say moratorium, but mm-hmm. he brought up the whole issue with factory farming, consolidation, and monopolies, and he didn't just mention it; he spoke about it for several minutes. And my my jaw was hanging out because yeah, in 2016, hardly anybody talked about mm-hmm. these rural issues. It's, it's ironic because here in Iowa, all these candidates come through, and the the A word, the agriculture right. word, doesn't get addressed very much. Never, but, but it, Bernie Sanders, Senator. Sanders, he spoke about it. And I was impressed.
0: That's shocking. You know, you don't hear farm and you don't hear food in any of these candidate uh, presentations, which is really what a a thing to forget about. I guess it shows our arrogance that, oh, it's it's all taken care of.
1: Well, not only, you know, it's like nobody acknowledges mainstream media doesn't acknowledge no, that so many of our country's problems actually start with farming and food.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, when it, our environmental problems, our health problems, and then our health care cost problems, mm. our infrastructure problems, a lot of the problems get, you know, not all infrastructure, but certainly rural infrastructure. Immigration. immigration's a big one mm-hmm. when it comes to um, our food and, and farm policies. Nobody talks about how this issue is at the hub of so many other issues mm-hmm. in this country. It's it's, like, it's almost like too big for people to get their head around. But I, I get so frustrated when I these pieces being discussed, but not going to the core of issue, that so many of these things, you know, this, this core issue, so many of these things spring out of that.
0: Well, we understand. We here at Farm and Fiddle understand that very <laughs> very well. And we have yes. been talking to Diane Rosenberg, who is President and Executive Director of Jefferson Friends and Neighbors, JFAN. And you won't believe this, Diane, but we are almost out of time. So um, <laughs> if you have some last words, and we really want people to also go to your website, to the JFAN website. There is so much information there. It's just it's fascinating to see everything you've gotten up there and, and written about this.
1: Thank you. Yes, the, the one thing that, that I would say is that um, this is a, a really important issue to talk about. And we as a society need to to keep talking about where our food comes from and to be cognizant of where our food comes from and to make food choices with that knowledge of of where our food is is coming from you know we actually have a lot of power within ourselves you know every time and and i know this has been said a lot in many different areas but every time we go to the store we're voting Mm. with our consumer dollars we're voting on what we want to support and and to me these are very big problems but it all also comes down to what can i do what I can do is I can make wise food choices for me. I can, when I go to a restaurant, choose not to, to choose to ask if the meats, dairy, eggs are uh, responsibly raised livestock or not. And and what I also want to say is that we, JFAN, the Iowa Alliance, SRAP, we all support traditional independent livestock farmers, real family farms, mm-hmm. you know, that are raising independently that that for decades were the backbone of this country mm-hmm. and that one day can be the backbone again it took us the 60 years to get to where we are now <laughs> it's going to take time to rewind and go back to a a better system a more yeah. regenerative system and and that's what we support that's what we want to see this is a long term road journey that we're on and we all have a part to play in it if i could leave anybody with that with that inspiration it's like you're all powerful mm-hmm. you all can make choices and those choices do impact incrementally and incrementally is what you know collectively starts yeah. to make
0: changes down the road wonderful well said yeah. well said well thank you diane rosenberg it's been a delight to, to talk to you this evening and uh Good luck with all of this. Keep in touch. Let us let us know what you're doing and we'll we'll get you back on. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you so much, Margot. Thank you for having me. We've Thanks. Done right was the day we started to fight. Keep your eyes
1: on the prize. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize.
0: The music for this podcast comes from the recording Oh Freedom! Songs of the Civil Rights Movement by Chris Villillo in Macomb, Illinois. Thanks, Chris.